The courtroom is a really sterile place. It's the loneliest place I've ever been. It's like your whole country's against you. I mean, maybe that's not what it is, but it sure felt like it to me when they say the United States versus Portia Louder. I mean, at that point in time, I'm thinking, what have I done to be here? This episode is brought to you by The Parlor Hair and Body Salon. With a quick reminder, it's okay to take time for yourself. Hi, I'm Chelsea. You're listening to Beyond the Picket Fence, where you're invited to take a break from keeping it together. Let's get real. This week, we are talking to my new friend, Portia Louder. I found her on a Facebook group called World Unified, and I was reading all of her stories about the time she spent in prison. That's all I really knew about her, but I knew I wanted her on my list of dream guests. So I swung for the fences. I reached out to her, and she is so kind. She got back to me so quick, and I'm just so grateful to have her here. So welcome to your guided tour behind the scenes of prison life. Thank you so much for having me. So my name is Portia Louder. And I am 50 years old. I guess probably not everyone says how old they are, but that's how old I am. I earned every one of those years. I'm a mother of five children and actually six. One I gave up for adoption. I did spend some time in prison. I am a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and married to my amazing husband, Chad, for 24 years. Portia's story starts where most stories do. Childhood. She was the oldest of seven children raised in a small town in Utah. Her family were members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. A lot of Portia's stories do revert back to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So I do just want to give you a little bit of background. For those of you who are not members of this church, in this church, we are encouraged to read our scriptures, hopefully as much as we can, usually daily, pray morning and night, go to church regularly, and do all of those things so that we can develop our own relationship with God. Sometimes, This can be misunderstood as a checklist of all the things you have to do to, you know, be good enough. Well, Portia's family did things a little differently. We didn't read scriptures and do those types of things, but I had gone to church and I had been baptized. But by the time I was 13, I really started having trouble with relationships. My parents were fairly non-conforming. I would even say anti-establishment, like We didn't go to doctors. They were like hippies before it was a thing to be a hippie. And there wasn't a lot of structure in our home. Like we had a really creative type of home where we would play and do fun things, but we could go to sleep when we want, wake up when we want. We brushed our teeth if we felt like it. Like it was that kind of a environment. Although there are things that I love about it, the creativity aspect, the downside was that it was very difficult for me to have structure boundaries in my life. I just didn't understand them. And when I was 13, I got involved with boys that were a lot older than me. And I've heard it said that as the oldest, I took over a little bit as the parent and I was looking for a spouse. I mean, that's just what happens. I don't know if that's why, but it. I also have come to realize that one of the biggest things as a mother that we can do for our children is to know our own worth, because that was something my mom just didn't. If we only take one thing from this episode, this is it. How important it is for us to know our own worth. I knew this was going to be a great interview because it was only like, what, three minutes in and I had already had this amazing new insight. She kept saying she had relationship problems and I wanted her to be more specific. So I asked, was she talking like specifically like romantical relationships? 
Yeah. I just was so codependent. Like I loved the rush of getting in a relationship or having boys like me. And they were older boys. Like my first real relationship was with a boy that was 16 and I'm 13. Not great because 16 year old boys that are going through hormones and stuff. And I remember I got involved physically probably like about 14 and that was confusing. And then even more seriously, physically by the time I was 15. And then you know, as a member of the church, by that time, I just quit going to church. I just didn't feel comfortable there. And again, looking back, I just, I really have a lot of compassion for myself because I want to just say, you're so amazing. You don't have to do this. And I've said that to my mother too. I'm like, mom, you just never knew how amazing you were. You know, that would be the one thing I would love to just give her is to know her worth. And it's something she still struggles with. And so it's something that I've worked hard to know my own worth. And that has come through a relationship with my father in heaven, like knowing who I am to him changed the whole game for me. But at that point, by the time I was 17, I was pregnant and then got married and then divorced. <laughs> and I was married for less than a year. So she had her son. And while her son's father remained in high school, Portia decided to drop out. Our principal reached out to me and said, hey, I'd really like you to graduate high school because you have leadership skills and people look up to you. And so I went back to school, but it just, I struggled with school. My siblings, they all went to a kind of a homeschool situation. I stayed in school because I like the social aspect, but mm -hmm. I really did struggle with the structure. So once I went through this divorce, I moved into a low-income apartment and I was taking care of my son and was babysitting other children that were in single mom families. And I met a guy that was 10 years older than me. And he said, you should marry me. <laughs> and I said, I just hardly know you. He said, but I can take care of you and your son. And I married him. Like two months later, I married him. And we were married for about a year. And then something happened. My dad got a job and got transferred out of this little town. And I remember the first time I drove up to the city in Utah, which was Salt Lake City. I was like, oh, this is my way out. Like I knew my life was on a terrible track. Like I felt the weight of the world on me. And I just, I wanted something more. I didn't know what, I didn't really think I'd go to college or anything, but I just wanted something different. And so I told my husband, I said, I'm not, I'm not happy and I don't want to stay in this relationship. So I'm going to move up. I said, but we could try to make it work, but I want to leave this town. And he said, I'm not leaving. Just go ahead and go. We'll just call it. It wasn't a real strong relationship. I found out I was pregnant after I moved up with my parents and he didn't want to work it out at that point. Here she was, pregnant with her second child and a man who does not want to be involved. So heart-wrenching. And I remember that being such a sad time for me. I got a job as a photographer, and it was the first time I had a little self-confidence, but I felt so sad because I just, I had a son who was confused. He had this stepdad that had been in his life. And at that point, I just decided I'm going to live with my parents. And my father was kind of a role model for him. My mom babysat so I could work. And... I really wanted a better life. My second husband, my daughter's father, showed up the day that I had her and said, you should come back and live with me. I remember wanting to do that because it just seemed like that this would be the solution. And I went to my dad and I said, dad, I'm so scared because I think I have, I have a future to fight for. And I'm afraid that I'll be going backwards. And he goes, you do have a future to fight for. That was the first time I went... Maybe I could have a life and it's not going to be this direction. I, he had a drug problem. It just wasn't the right fit. And I continued to work and was a single mother with two children. 
And I remember trying to go to church a couple times the day that I blessed my dad actually blessed my little girl was a good day, but it was also sad because I felt like I'm looking around and I I remember being in the nursing mom room and I'm like, just this young mom and I've got a little baby and I'm a single mom. And it just wasn't like, it didn't feel like my life was where I wanted it to be or had hope. And I didn't really go back to church much and started dating another man and ended up pregnant again. And this time I was terrified because I had two kids that I had failed. I felt like I was not being a good mother to, and they deserve more. And so I prayed and asked for guidance. And I felt this warm, comforting feeling wash over me. And I know now that was this child that I was carrying. And I knew he wasn't mine to keep. I knew that he would be a part of my life, but not as my son. And so I started looking for his family, you know, who would adopt him. And I found the right family. It took some time, but, you know, I found them and they were there. And I think that his mother that adopted him was, has been such a love and support to me. Not, I mean, they love David and for a long time, I couldn't really be engaged in that because things were not good in my own life. Like I needed to get my own life together. Right. But over the years, as I struggled, she was always praying for me and always supporting me and cheering me on. And that's been a really special thing for me to have. The day the baby was born, Portia's mom couldn't bear to be at the hospital. It was just too hard to watch. But the baby's adoptive family was there right away, and they were the first to hold him. It was like an amazing spiritual experience to have him. After he was born, it was an emptiness I had never felt. Like it was like a whole new level of empty. Here she was, 24 years old, with her two children at the hospital, just having had a baby, not really knowing what to do. She had these two kids to take care of, had to say goodbye to this other child, and deal with this emptiness that she'd never before known. What did the doctor do to help with all the pain? She was prescribed Percocet, and she was off to the races. When she was 21, she had experimented a little bit with prescription drugs and realized it was a little scary for her. But it wasn't until after she had David that her addiction really started to take over. My addiction progressed, and for a little while I was involved in David's family. They really tried to help me. They could see I was struggling and they wanted to help. But it ended up that they just said, hey, they could see that I had this addiction that was problematic. And they were like, we need to just take care of this child. And it was the right thing to do. And actually, it wasn't long after that, that I hit a bottom that was pretty severe for me. I came home late one night and my oldest son, Jace, had been sitting at the window crying all night for me. And I picked him up and went downstairs and I said a prayer. I just said, please, God help me find my way out of this. And I don't care if I'm ever happy again. I just don't want to hurt my kids anymore. Help me find my way. Again, some background on the LDS community. When you have a large sin, in order to restore everything, you get to go talk to your bishop. I think almost like a confession a little bit. I don't really know, though, because I don't know what a confession is like. But anyway, they help you get back on your path. So she did that. She called her bishop and he met with her the next day. I went over the next day and I said, I need help. Please help me. And he said, you do need help. (laughs) You have some problems. And he got me involved in the addiction program. He was very honest with me. And I'm so grateful for that because I think that's something we struggle with in society. Like he said, you're very selfish. You have problems. And he wanted me to 
improve. And he couldn't just tell me, oh, you're doing great. I wasn't doing great. She had David when she was 24, and now she was 26, and the drugs switched from prescription to heart drugs. When she said she hit the bottom, she means she had no job. She would leave her kids with her parents in the morning, be out all day and all night doing hard drugs, then come home. And what she really wanted was to be the mom that she had hoped to be for her kids. At that point in time, I was humble. In fact, I remember saying, if I'm thinking it, it's wrong. Like I didn't trust my own thoughts anymore. That's a good place to be when you have an addiction (laughs) to trust the people around you. I remember going to my dad and saying, dad, I don't know if I've screwed up so much. Like, how am I ever going to make this right to my kids? And he said, one day at a time, one day at a time today, read them a page in a book tomorrow, take them for a walk, like whatever it takes, you have to find your way back from this. And he goes, and I can't do it for you because he had tried. Nobody could help me. Yeah. It was super scary. It scared me enough that I turned away at that point in time. Like I never looked back. I walked away from every friend I had. I've never seen the drugs again that I was using. I really just walked away from it. I went to 12-step meetings every day. I went to AA meetings. My bishop was my sponsor, and I made a list of the things I had done to hurt people, and I shared it with him, and I started trying to make amends, and it took me nine months of reading my scriptures and saying my prayers and doing everything he said to do before I started feeling decent. Like I remember the day but I felt the sun on my face and I had hope again. I really trudged through a lot of hard with hope that things would get better because I believed what everyone said. I just knew I was a mess and I didn't trust myself anymore, right? Mm -hmm. Tired of hurting my kids. When Portia was six months sober, she went on a field trip with her son. We went to the zoo and I remember looking around at everybody and thinking, do you guys know how amazing this is? I'm doing this. Like I'm being a good mom, you know, it felt so good. And I thought if God can make all of this work together in perfect balance, he can solve my problems. He can make life better for me and my kids. You know, that is so beautiful. Oh my gosh. I love you already. Okay. (laughs) Eventually Portia got with Chad, her husband. Now she was going on about her and Chad got married. And I was like, wait a second. When did Chad come into this story? I actually met Chad the first time when I was eight and a half months pregnant with David. And I know he introduced us. Like he was in there going, this is the one. (laughs) But at the same time, I remember Chad's smile because he had so much light in him and he had so much kindness. He has these amazing blue eyes. And he walked into my parents' house because my sister was going to college where he was. And the guy she was dating was at our house. So he came to see him. And I opened the door and I'm sitting there in sweats, eight and a half months pregnant. And I remember looking at him and thinking, if I could have everything good in the world, it would be you. And I thought, my life is a mess, but you, you represent everything good and right. In time, like, I, Chad's like, I just loved you, but I was scared to death of you. Like, he would watch me from afar and go, oh, why is she doing that? (laughs) You know, he just, I said, what scares you the most about me? And he said, everything just everything. (laughs) But he saw the good in me. He saw what I could become. And once I got sober and was really working at it, we got married and then we went to the temple and had the kids sealed to us. It wasn't easy. It was hard, but it was really amazing. I mean, he's a good man. What a beautiful story. But guys, look, we're like only 15-ish minutes into this episode. That was just the preface. 
sadly, I wish I could have said, and we lived happily ever after because for a while we did. We moved into a little house and I started a photography business that started growing and Chad was building his career. And then I found out I was pregnant with our first son and we were so excited. And I was grateful every day for the beauty of my life because I had such a hard time. Like I read scriptures with my kids in the morning and took them to school and life was good. Portia went from 30 weddings a year to 100 to 200 and her business just grew like wildfire. And you know what happens when you get too close to the fire. The real estate market was going crazy. They had just had their son Jackson and after a back surgery, Portia relapsed on prescription drugs. I was too busy, really. I quit making my recovery, number one. And I got involved in some real estate deals that were illegal. I needed a little bit of clarity on this timeline. When did the reality thing start? So I relapsed. I had this photography business. And then we moved to the new home that we built. Okay. I found out I was pregnant again. So I was going back and forth. Like I didn't use through my pregnancy, but as soon as I had the baby, I was back at it. Okay. And I had our second child together. They were like 18 months apart and the real estate market was going crazy. And all of our neighbors were building spec homes. And so I thought I'm going to build a spec home, pay off our house and quit taking pictures. Cause I had nannies taking care of my kids. At this point, I was just way too busy and I should have just slowed down. I could have, but I didn't. And so after, I don't know, six months of investing, somebody introduced me to what's called an equity deal. And it is a house where you get a higher appraisal on it than it's worth. And you borrow more money than the house is worth. And I was in the middle of a lot of these deals. Investors wanted to buy them so they could get the equity out and use it in other investments. So I was like putting them together and the FBI came in and started investigating. Did you know it was illegal when you were doing it? No, I'll tell you what I knew. And my heart and my gut knew not to do it. Like immediately I, I was like, this is not the right thing to do. And I did it anyway. And it, I wouldn't say like the first few deals I did were illegal, but what ended up happening is you just go deeper and deeper. <laughs> and so in time, like I wasn't getting the appraisals in the beginning. And then I started paying appraisers more money for higher appraisals. And that is illegal. That's mm-hmm. kind of like bribery, kind of bribery. Yeah. I, I guess you could say, um, I had all kinds of justification. Like if I could go back and do it again, I would just own the fact that I made those choices. But at the time I was like, we'll go after the appraisers. We'll go after the banks. We'll go like, why are you coming for me? Was that giving you a return? Were you getting more money from doing this? I made money in the beginning. And then I was just, I borrowed more money to invest more money. And then I was just in debt. And so at that point, like I was, it's almost like a real estate Ponzi scheme. I was trying to do more deals to cover the bad deals. And it, I was, it was really heavy. Like it was, it's a terrible time. Like it wasn't even helping you. No, or did it was it, awful. Was it helping you from the world's point of view? Did it look like? Oh, probably looked like it. Yeah. Cause we lived in a big home and, but we just had more debt and the weight of the world was on my shoulders. So awful. And of course I'm using more and more pills to try to manage all that. How often are we comparing ourselves to the Joneses? They look like they have it all together. They're going on nice vacations. They have huge houses. But we have no idea the weight that they're carrying behind closed doors. She was trying to make all of these deals work out, back to using prescription drugs, and just really trying to keep it all together. And I asked, at this point, did she realize it was illegal? I never really owned that. I've had the time to look back and realize that my integrity was just so lacking. And so... My biggest concern 
now is just keeping my integrity in line and being truthful with myself and God and my community. We kept talking a little more, and I realized I don't think Portia was doing this to try to get ahead, but I really couldn't figure out what was in it for her. And then through this conversation, we figured it out. It was, it's the dumbest thing. I remember the lawyer going, what was your takeout strategy? (laughs) He's like, this doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I don't know how to explain it, but we were way better off. Like in the beginning, I just kept trying to get back to a place where I was just doing really risky real estate deals that I didn't think were illegal. And eventually it didn't matter what I thought because I knew they were Mm -hmm. wrong. You can't borrow more money against a house and it's worth and not know that there's something wrong with that. They were advertising it on the radio and everything else. So it, it was just a weird time. But was it making you feel good? People were coming to you to make these deals. Was that bringing you value? I think there is an addiction to all of that too. Just after going to prison and seeing how a lot of people are more addicted to hustling than they are about anything. Like they get mm-hmm. excited when they talk about their crime, you know, as I've had time to think back on it. I'm like, with me, it was, I was just way too materialistic. I didn't know my worth. And I was really trying to prove through accomplishments and successes that I perceived the world thought was successful, that I was enough as a photographer, as a, you know, real estate investor, as a whatever. And looking for a solution other than internal. Like I'm trying to solve this problem. And I'm thinking if I buy this house and I do this, and I've just learned that to simplify my life and to build it on a true foundation, Mm -hmm. you know, something which is my father in heaven. So it all came back to your worth. It didn't really matter about like the physical things. No, I think I was so driven to try to prove my worth. It all comes back to the worth issue. Same thing that was causing her problems in the first place. So interesting. So let's get back to the story. When the FBI shows up to her house and starts investigating. Yeah. (laughs) So awful. I could only tell you nobody wants the FBI to show up at their house. They came to your house? Yeah. So bad. There was another woman named Portia who was in Salt Lake who was doing um, lending, but she was on the FBI. I mean, she was like in millions or billions, I don't know how much money, just lots of money. And so my name was popping up at title companies and they thought I was her alias. So basically they started investigating because of that. And then the more they started looking into my deals, they indicted us both really. They charged her and charged me, but I was so mad because you're not going after banks and all the other people that I saw that were involved and they didn't get charged. Yeah. It was all kind of your responsibility. Yeah. I was the leader organizer. They hit me hard. <laughs> I know, know I'm probably not helping you, but so that's much. crazy to me. <laughs> that's crazy to me that no one else got in trouble. It brought me. No, but you know what? I'm so grateful for that. I really am. Like recently I work at the treatment center and I wrote a book and one of the girls there was reading it. And she goes, why didn't they charge those other people? And I said, she goes, they got away with it. And I said, no, they didn't. We, no one gets away with anything. They still have to live with themselves. Like I got to go pay the price. I got called out. Thank goodness for that. What if I wouldn't have? Would my integrity have forever been awful? Would I have never known my worth because I would have never really had to dig deep to figure out who I wanted to become and what my worth was? Like I wouldn't trade it. I'm grateful that I got caught, but not at the time. I wanted her to try to remember back and give me some of the insight of what it did feel like at the time before all of this clarity. 
at that point in time, it was scary. It was just scary. And I felt like I was fighting for everything I ever was. You're saying I'm going to go to prison. You're telling me as a Mormon woman, I'm going to prison. Do you know how hard I worked to even become who I am now? You can't take it away. I finally became a decent mother. You want to take, which I wasn't really being a great mom at that point because I'm using it. I was terrified. I was scared of what my image would look like what people would think, all the dumbest reasons, but I was. Were you scared of like actually what was going to happen to you in prison? Because that's what I would be scared of. You know what? (laughs) People ask that. Not really. I was so scared of everything else. And then once I got to prison, I was in so much pain being separated from my family that I didn't have time to be scared about anything. I'm like, what's you going to do? When you're suffering on the level that I am, good luck trying to make me scared. <laughs> like I'm not actually I'm pretty brave when it comes to some things. Unfortunately, I can be a little fearless. And so I wasn't scared of prison for that reason, but I was terrified to leave my children. I was afraid in the beginning my husband would leave. Why would he stay? Of course, he did stay. And even when I was in prison, I was like, you should leave. You should go. Like you deserve better. And Chad loves me and he has been such a good support that I feel like he has seen my worth before I could see it and has really elevated me that way. I don't know if you've ever gone through anything with law and courts, but this wasn't like a quick indictment. It actually was a huge chunk of her life. The house that they initially charged her for was sold in 2005. She didn't get indicted until 2010. I fought it for a long time. Even before I got indicted, the FBI shows up at my house. I'm hiring lawyers. We drained ourselves financially in every other way. I didn't get sober. I just used more. So I'm like, I had years that were awful. My kids grew up worrying about that crap. As we learned from Morgan in our addict episode, oftentimes addicts get away with keeping using a secret. So I asked her if her husband knew that she was using. The unfortunate thing about me when I use is that Most people think I can handle it. (laughs) They're like, oh, she's got it. No, 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 no. I think Chad knew that I had the surgery and he knew that I was struggling. He didn't know the level of struggling I was having, but we were just in panic mode. I couldn't imagine how I could get sober because I was so, I was so overwhelmed with what we were going through. You know, I just didn't think I could. And eventually I did, thank goodness. And the time that I had in prison helped me, but those were hard years. The time finally came where I had to walk into a courtroom and be sentenced. And honestly, I think I was in denial until that moment. Like I thought I could find a way out. I wasn't looking to own it. I was looking for any way to minimize it. And then I got into the courtroom and the courtroom is a a really sterile place. It's the loneliest place I've ever been. I turned around and I saw my husband and my kids, but it's like your whole country's against you. It's the worst feeling. And it's not, maybe that's not what it is, but it sure felt like it to me when they say the United States versus Portia Louder at that point in time, I'm thinking, what have I done to be here? This is the reality of my situation was very real. And I, I prayed. I I remember just tears streaming down my cheeks and looking at my family and thinking, I'm so sorry. What have I done to you? I am so sorry. And I prayed and asked for strength and I, I was given strength greater than I could. I mean, that situation could bring you (laughs) like mentally or just not have the physical strength to stand there and go through that. And he gave me the maximum sentence, which was seven years. And it was like a death for me. It really was. It was like everything that I thought was so important, what people thought, money, all that just disappeared because the reality that I was going to be leaving my children. I mean, I had a seven-year-old child. When they said seven years, that That changed me when we left the courtroom. um, 
I remember thinking, why is everybody acting like life didn't just completely change? Like you would at the loss of a child or when a child's sick, because I just felt like the whole world had changed. And I went home and I was pretty open about what I was feeling. I didn't care anymore about what anyone thought I wrote on social media. I was sentenced yesterday and I'm going to prison. Please support my children and my husband. Like nothing else mattered at that point, except for help my family get through this. Portia had eight weeks to, and I say this with finger quotes, prepare. But how does one even prepare? So before she knew it, the eight weeks was up. And I said goodbye to my kids. One of the hardest things. And It was really emotional. It was a really hard time. It was hard to say goodbye. It was another time where my mom said, can't watch this and drove away. Like she, it was too painful. With Portia headed off to prison, let's take a quick break. Do you ever feel a little bit exhausted by your social media feed? Seeing everyone else's perfect moments and forget to remember that they have a whole life going on behind the scenes? Well, join us in our free Facebook community. This community is our secret little place to escape all of the perfection we see here on social media and connect with women just like you who are ready to be done comparing and start being compassionate to themselves and others. Find it at facebook.com slash groups slash beyond the picket fence. Link also in the show notes. Can't wait to see you in there. We're back to the part of the story where Portia is in prison. My first few weeks in prison were just so devastating. All I could do is envision my children's faces. I just kept seeing them and thinking, I can't do this. I can't. Like, there's no way I can get through this time away from my kids. I would just imagine their faces. And I felt a level of sadness I didn't know I could feel. And I'm really grateful for other people who had already walked through it, who just said, you will live like this will pass. I just couldn't imagine how you could get through it, but you can do things that you didn't know you could do. And for me, I think what happened was I really needed to know who I was to my father in heaven. I felt so low. I was in the lowest place of my life. It's hard to describe when everything's taken. There's no social media there. You get like a a few phone calls a week. It's just so minimal. And I reached out to my father in heaven and I said, I'm not a mother, not a wife. I'm a nobody. I don't know who am I to you because I don't feel worth anything. And I felt an incredible amount of love, more love than I've ever felt. And I also felt a very strong feeling that I had a purpose on this earth. Like it was like impressed on my soul that I had a specific purpose and it changed me. It gave me the strength to do my time different, to get through the hard times. It changed me. And as much as I knew I was loved, I knew that the women that I was spending time with were incredibly loved too. And I was able to see them through a different view than I ever would have because of the love that our father in heaven showed me. I was able to see that in the, you know, their potential. My first year was hard. My second year was hard. My last few years, it was all hard, but in the end, I felt so free. I really owned the mistakes that I made and I found a level of freedom and self-worth that was so much more than I'd ever felt. But I was scared to leave prison. <laughs> I really was like, I worked the steps. I served. I felt such a close relationship with the savior and our father in heaven that it was like, 
man, I don't know if I can go back. It was just amazing. Did you hear that? She just said she found a level of freedom. Freedom from behind bars. It didn't come from escaping prison. It actually came from owning her mistakes and knowing her worth. And not only did she know her worth, but she was able to see the worth of every woman she came in contact with. The relationships that I built are so sacred to me. I love those women. It's so different. The humanity, the kindness, the tenderness from people who have nothing, whose lives are so much harder. I had no idea how valuable what we have is as members of the church. Like, my garments are sacred to me. I realize again, not every listener of this podcast knows what garments are. So I will take you to the source, thechurchofjesuschrist.org. It reads, Many faithful Latter-day Saints wear a garment under their clothing that has deep religious significance. Similar in design to ordinary modest underclothing, it comes in two pieces and is usually referred to as the temple garment. Some people incorrectly refer to the temple garments as magical or magic underwear. These words are not only inaccurate, but also offensive to members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. There is nothing magical or mystical about temple garments, and church members ask for the same degree of respect and sensitivity that would be afforded to any other faith by people of goodwill. Temple garments are worn by adult members of the church who have made sacred promises of fidelity to God's commandments and the gospel of Jesus Christ in the temples of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. To church members, the modest temple garment worn under normal clothing along with the symbolic vestments worn during temple worship represent the sacred and personal aspect of their relationship with God and their commitment to live good, honorable lives. I love my garments. They are precious and valuable. They protect me. Our covenants that we make in the temple, because I was separated from my family, those covenants, we felt that the power of heaven that connected our family. We felt it. And also to be in a place where nobody had that light, other people that were having a hard time would come to me and say, will you come pray with us? Because they could see that strength in me that our Father in Heaven endows us with. I felt very protected. I never felt unsafe. And I just, I love how blessed I was. Like, her Heavenly Father and the Gospel is so valuable. Knowing who we are is so valuable. And I think when we know who we are, we can see that in others. Those relationships that I built there, I could see their worth and they could see mine. And it was just, it was really beautiful. That is really beautiful. Before going into prison, was there like a judgment of there's going to be a bunch of horrible people in there? Yeah, I was so judgmental. I had no idea how judgmental I was. Because even being a member of the church, I just saw things as good and bad, right and wrong. Like I didn't ever think about it as, oh, this woman was raised by parents who were addicted to drugs and who were in prison or was sold, you know, to someone to use at the age of 10 or 11, or her mother died of addiction when she was 14 and she didn't have a father. Like I never thought about the fact that, because I think, and I don't know if it's being a member of the church or just what my simplistic view of things was, but I just thought, why don't you act right? Why are you breaking the law? Are you kidding me? If you're raised that way, how do you know any different? And there's so many poor people in prison, just poor. Mm -hmm. Like I had all the advantages. I had lawyers and a husband and family and people that supported me. And I'm like, What do you have if you have nothing? You get locked up. You don't have the advantages of having the legal system work for you. So many poor people go to prison and they get the worst sentences because they just, they don't have that. When I didn't know how really fortunate and privileged I was until I got to prison, I felt sorry for myself for a while. And then I was like, oh, get over that. I am so blessed. 
Are you putting expectations on others to just be the way you imagine they should be without even taking into consideration their backstory or their life experiences? What are the benefits of just stopping the judgment? Oh my gosh, I think that you can be a light because what do we want to do? We want to connect and change lives, right? And the only way to do that is through love. And sometimes I hear people just say love, but I mean, through non-judgment to really seek to understand somebody and their situation before you make any kind of a judgment. And it's hard, you know, it's hard, but if you do that, they will respond so different to you. If I go into a situation in judgment, even let's say that you have a neighbor that's not of your faith or that's not in your opinion, like why are they acting like that? Why are they up till one or two in the morning partying? There's beer bottles in their you know, yard or whatever. But have you ever gone over and just visited with them? Like, have you ever gone over and just said, hey, how are you? Welcome to the neighborhood. So do you guys have kids? What do you guys do? Get to know someone because you'd be amazed how that judgment just disappears. And there's a, I'll give you an example. I just talked, in fact, you should have him on your podcast. He's one of the coolest people I've ever met. He's from Indiana. And his name's Eric and I'll give you his number and stuff, but he's Christian. He's not LDS. I had posted a post about prison and he had responded to it and said, there's something about your belief that feels right to me. He said, I don't understand it. Is it just what you believe or is it part of your faith? Of course, reached out to him, but I didn't reach out to him and try to tell him what I believed. I reached out and asked him, tell me about you. We actually spent an hour on the phone yesterday and I said, tell me about you. He has the most amazing story. Like he was just, his life was a mess. And then he built a relationship with God and it changed everything. And now he serves and just does all these really cool things. And he's just interesting to talk to. And we just had such a good conversation and I'm building a friendship with him. But if I were to call him and try to tell him why my faith is the right one, instead of understanding what he believes and who he is, how can I build a relationship that way? I can't. First, I need to understand him and get to know him. And then By the time I got off the phone, I thought how fortunate I was to have him in my life. He's a drug addict. He used for years and he's been sober for four and a half years and you could easily judge him, but I found him to be so inspiring, like where he's been and just a humble man and fun to talk to and doing lots of cool things. Ooh, this one made me think about myself. I often go into other people's life and just talk about me and all the things I'm going through. I really want to try to be more like Portia and just listen and learn. People need to feel needed. They need to know their worth. We let them know their worth by listening to them and getting to know them so that we can really understand them. It's not about right and wrong because anytime you're trying to tell someone they're wrong and you're right, like how's that going to come across, right? And I love the people that I met that aren't members yet that I love what they do for me because they teach me how to be humble and appreciate what we have. It's amazing. And I think that I needed to go to prison to figure that out, which is so crazy. Okay, this part's going to cater to my members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And if you're not, then just bear with us for a second. My whole life, I've been so worried about offending someone or inviting them to church if they don't want to come. You can't just say whatever you want without hurting people's feelings these days. How do we share the message of Jesus Christ in a world where you're not sure if someone's going to accept it or not? What I've always imagined or thought was the right way to do it is just telling them where they're wrong and how we can fix it. That just doesn't sit right with me, and I've never felt good about it. I just thought, I just don't really share the gospel. I don't want to impose on anyone. But what I realized is I've been doing it right the whole time, and Portia changed that outlook for me. The gospel is our Savior Jesus Christ's love and light that is so brilliant and beautiful. The gospel is empowering these covenants that we make, strengthen us, and bind us together. 
the gospel is becoming your best self. Like the gospel has the ability to take us to a level of service and love and compassion that we could never have without it. But the culture's crazy. I get it. Like it can be when we get caught up on trying to be better than someone or prove ourselves. And luckily that all died for me. I mean, when you go to prison, you kind of, you know, you're no longer on the trying to prove yourself that you're a sinner. Like I am a sinner. And there is no doubt when I say I can't afford a faith crisis <laughs> because like all of us in prison, like we have nothing but God. So that's just not available to me because I am so lost without my father in heaven. That's the truth. This conversation came at a very poignant time for me. I am battling my own faith crisis. How do I participate in a way that's true to me and being kind and compassionate and loving to others and not judgmental, but also living true to what I do believe in? In a lot of ways, I'm still navigating that faith crisis, but this conversation helped me a lot and I go back and listen to it a lot. Portia encouraged me to ask my father in heaven, how does he feel about me? So after I got off this interview with her, I did just that. I kneeled down and I literally said, God, who am I to you? What is my worth? Help me see it. And it didn't solve all my problems or take anything away. I just felt love. I remember one time I was looking for a binky. Charlie was crying and I could not find a binky anywhere. And I just prayed, Heavenly Father, please help me find this binky. And I just looked under the couch and I found a binky that I had never seen before. I'm sure it was ours because it was in our house. But it was the only one I could find. And it was super old. And he helped me find a binky. God is in the little details of our life. So whatever you're facing, whether it's looking for a binky or trying to survive getting through prison, I encourage you, take it to God because he cares. Okay, I'll get off that soapbox. But now, here is the question we've all been waiting for. Okay, so I'm going to ask you the question that everyone's probably wondering, what is it like in prison? Oh, goodness. Prison is like Groundhog Day, so it's the same every day. You eat the same food Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. You know exactly what you're going to eat. And the food isn't good, just so you know. I mean, that's not a myth. (laughs) But prison was so different for me by the end. When I first got there, I guess it just felt like a bunch of kids, like locked up in a room. (laughs) And then in time, I came to see the humanity and the connection that we shared. You know, once the technology is gone for a period of time and you really learn again to reconnect with each other. You're away from your family. So there's that trauma bonding of like connection where you're all each other has. So if your bunkie's sick, you make sure you get up and get him a banana in the kitchen so that they have food for the day. You kind of live your life around these 10 minute moves. So you can move from one building to the next. So I could go from the housing unit to the library and then I'm stuck there for an hour. So every hour they have 10 minutes that they allow you to move. And so you work your schedule out. For me, I got up early every morning. I was up by five. And then I would take a quick shower, you know, make my bed, get everything in order, and then run to the kitchen. And breakfast is usually 5.30 or 6 and eat some cornflakes or whatever they have for you. And then I would go, I usually went to work early. So I got a job in kind of behind the library. I had a little office. I usually worked in education. And it allowed me to go outside and spend a lot of time in nature, which was important to me. The things that were important to me were reading and connection, spending time outside, just feeling close to God. And I think that, you know, some women will work out like that's their thing. Everybody kind of finds their coping skill, but 
sometimes it's just funny. You know, there's a lot of boredom. I spoke to a a youth group recently and he's, so did you get bored? I was like, oh yeah, I got bored. (laughs) Like (laughs) I learned how to be bored and it's okay to be bored sometimes (laughs) because in this world, nobody's bored. There were times where I literally was like, I can't even stand myself for one more minute. I just need to get away from me because I'm just always, there's no escape from it. I walked a lot around the track and in the beginning, you can buy a little MP3 player and you can download music from an approved site. Like the first time I got music, I got Mormon Tabernacle Choir. And it was, I actually got that in the piano guys and my roommate I like put the music in and it just tuned everything out. And I really felt like I, like it was the most precious thing I ever had. You know, (laughs) I put it in my ears and then I put it in hers. And she literally just looked at me and had tears streaming down her cheeks because she just said it was so beautiful. I mean, you could really connect to the beauty of nature and the beauty of music because you're just away from everything and you're in a cement world and it's the same every day. And so You introduce something beautiful like that. And it's just amazing. Everybody reads. Like, that's one thing that I miss. I was such a good reader in prison. And out here, it's hard. I feel like if I listen to an audio book, I get bored after a while. And in there, I could just read and people would read. And there were times where I was so sick of reading that I wanted to throw up. You know, I'm just like, I can't read another word because I would read like 12 hours a day. (laughs) Sometimes like on the weekend, they have a little movie and everyone would take their metal chair into a room. (laughs) We watch the movie together, you know. That's so interesting. And I guess I must have just been so naive because I never realized that there was like a library and a gym and a place where you could go watch a movie. I think that's pretty cool. I guess I assumed prison was just people locked up in little cells all the time. So I was actually a little glad to hear that they get out and about and they can move around a little bit. There's (laughs) not a lot of color. There really isn't. I mean, like one of the things that I did to to stay connected to creativity, because everybody wants to create. To me, some of the greatest, most uplifting spiritual things in life are creation, whether it's art, music, or whatever. Connections, you know, also something like I'm a connection junkie, so I could always find connection in prison. And I'm grateful for that. Like that was something I missed when I got out. People, they'll dance or you'll hear them out singing. I'll go outside and they're walking around the track and she's just booming out singing. You wouldn't see that here so much. So I did these little bulletin boards. And one of the things that I came up with was I... I had my own little space. So I would actually design anyone's bulletin board that would let me, any teacher, anywhere in the unit that had a blank one. I'd be, can I put some paper on that? And we'll color things for it and stuff just to add some color. And I asked the women to come up with what's called a six word memoir. So like your life in six words. And I was like, now really think about it because this is going to be you. We're going to put it on the board and everyone's going to see it's going to define you, you know? And mine was a powerful woman speaking the truth. And I just remember putting all the thought into that. In six words, how would I define myself? And I was so proud every time I walked by the word, that's me. Oh, I love (laughs) it. So like bulletin boards, you know, it's like going back to elementary school. I mean, everybody walked by, wow, look at the new bulletin board. (laughs) Oh, there's not a lot of color. There's not a lot of variety and there's not a lot to look forward to because, you know, the food's the same. The days are always the same. But there are events, like different prisons have different events. They had a softball field in Minnesota and the girls would go down and play and we'd go watch them. And I remember the first time, because I had been on a different compound and I got there and I was sitting out under a tree and I looked over and I saw two officers coaching the girls, like one was on each team and they were kind of guiding them. They're like, all right. And I, and it made me feel tender. I was like, it's not like people think these guys are trying to help these girls out there, out there playing with them. And I, and I was glad that I was there at that compound, (laughs) not that I was in prison, but 
I noticed I was grateful for those tender moments that I witnessed. I remember in Victorville, the end of my sentence, there was a woman, she was a heavier black woman and she wasn't like, she didn't get out of the cell a lot, but her bunkie got really sick. And I saw her early one morning out there walking around the Senate saying, we got to get you moving, girl. You're not feeling good. That's the kind of tenderness. They would help each other out. Someone would give you their last apple or granola bar if they thought you needed it. Humans are so resilient. When it's all you have, you just take care of each other. If you aren't willing to go inside yourself, if you aren't willing to really set with yourself, like by the end of my sentence, I didn't listen to music anymore. I went out early so that I could hear silence. When I heard a bird chirp, I just felt so connected to God through nature. And I did a lot of meditation. I would just walk and I would not think. And I, I had so many cool ideas. Like I journaled and a lot of my book, I, I captured emotions and feelings and thoughts because I was so away from everything. I feel like you can be more creative when you're open to that. Is it just me or do you feel like you got lost a little bit in this wonderful explanation Portia has done? Such an amazing job making me see the beauty that I'm like, hmm, maybe I could go there. I was lucky that she said this and pulled me out of that thought. I wouldn't want to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> but if you're in a situation where you need to be away or you're in prison, there is a way to find the beauty in it and to truly become the best version of yourself. Because I was challenged to do that. I was not in a situation where it could change my circumstances, but I could change me. Just in case you're doing the dishes or driving or something and your brain tuned out, I'm going to replay that sentence. I was not in a situation where it could change my circumstances, but I could change me. Let's just sit with that for a second. Portia spent four and a half years in prison, and this is just a small insight as to her experiences there. In her book, Living Louder, you get to hear everything in great detail, all the relationships and incredible and awful moments in prison. And you get to hear a lot more about her family too. Highly recommend it. Again, I will put a link to it in the show notes. She did get off early from her seven-year sentence for good behavior, I really wanted to know, what does Portia Lauder's life look like now? Oh, my life today is pretty simple. If you want to know, I still wear the same clothes every day. That's something I really loved about prison. I don't buy or waste. Whenever, you know, I have an opportunity to serve, I jump on it. Um, I love the sun. I still like apples and almonds and tuna fish, like what I ate in prison for the most part. I appreciate the simple things so much. My my daughter climbed in bed, our 14-year-old daughter with this, and I thought, this is what I used to dream about. My 19-year-old, that she spent a lot of her teen years without her mom. It was really hard on her. And when she comes in before she goes to work and says, love you, mom, it's the most joyful feeling. I appreciate those things so much. I get excited when I talk to my friends who have been in prison and I see their successes. It just makes me so joyful. You know, I have two little grandsons and I go over there and I just hang out with them. And it just reminds me of the beauty of life. Like they appreciate simple things. My daughter has a lot of energy and she's a great mom. I always say she does it better than I did for sure. But I enjoy being a grandmother. My husband and I just like to go for a drive. Like we don't even own a home. We may never. I don't know. Prices are so high. Money's so unimportant to me, truthfully. Like I get excited about being able to share my book in prisons. I am still on probation and I will be off in June and then I can go back into prisons. I had someone reach out and ask me if I would do some criminal justice reform. So I went to the Capitol and they gave me a little coin and told me that I was an outstanding citizen. I was like, oh, 
thank you. I didn't care because I felt pretty good about me. You know, that's just, I gave the coin to my daughter. She goes, you don't want it? I said, no, it just, it's who I am that matters, not the coin, you know? Yeah, I feel really good about myself. Chad and I did a video not too long ago. The LDS church asked us to come down. And in the end, she said, can you tell me something positive about prison? I mean, I think my favorite thing by the time I got done with prison was just how good I felt about myself. Like I just had a feeling I'd never had in my life of freedom and of peace and just a connection with my father in heaven and a joy that I'd never experienced. And she said, that's beautiful. And it's worth everything that I went through and it's available to all of us. I talk about some of those key experiences in my book that changed me. And I really do think that every one of us can take total accountability of our life, turn to our savior and ask what we're worth to him. And we can live in that place of humility and love. If I can do it and went to prison, anyone can. So, (laughs) Portia's spirit. Her spirit is undeniable. She figured all of this out because she went to prison. Let's not have to go to prison to figure this out, guys. We need to know our worth. I need to know my worth. And there's one person who knows what it is and can remind me constantly. And that's my father in heaven. We touched just a little bit about this experience and how it affected her kids. But one thing she's grateful is that they have learned from her. When things get hard, we do not quit. I was just at a baby shower and there was a a girl there and she was a single mother. She's got two children. She's pregnant. I could see the pain in her face. So I went over and I sat by her and she just kept looking down and I said, I want to get to know you, you know, and we started talking for a minute and I told her a little bit about me. She goes, yeah, I've heard about you. Jace told me some of the things you went through and I said, it's going to get better. I promise. I said, don't you give up. Don't stop believing that there's something good for you. And I feel like if my kids learned anything from me, it's to never give up. And when things get hard, we don't quit. I'm grateful for that because everyone's going to have their hard. And if you're going through something hard, you're just in the middle. Like it's going to get better. It always will if you don't quit. So what lessons did you learn from our time in prison today? I learned, keep it simple. Don't get too busy. Remember what's really, truly important. Be kind to others. Try to stop judging. And above all, to know my worth. And with that, I ask, and I'll always ask, what do you wish people saw beyond your white picket fence? And then we laughed, because being in jail is not really a white picket fence. Or beyond my bars. (laughs) Yeah, what do you wish people saw beyond your uh, jail jail cell? That there is something so beautiful in the struggle that walking through that pain brings a level of joy. And beyond the picket fences, it does not matter what anyone else thinks. It's who you are. And when you know that and you have that light, people will be drawn to you. People will see it and you will feel so good. You don't care what anyone else thinks. And I think that's available to all of us, wherever we live or just your personal integrity, who you are to your father in heaven. Once you know that, the rest of it just all works out. So thanks for listening to another episode of beyond the picket fence. Do you or someone, you know, have a story to share? Feel free to reach out to me through my Instagram, Facebook DMS, or through my website. And remember, be kind because you never know what's going on for someone beyond the picket fence. Are you still here? As usual, here's a little gift for sticking around to the end. I cannot speak English, so I don't know why I decided to do this podcast, but enjoy my little uh, blooper reel.
Portia's story starts where more Portia's story starts. Wow, that's really hard to say. So I do want to give you just a little bit, just a little bit of background. Portia relapsed on prescription. And after a back surgery, Portia relapsed on prescription drugs. And I cannot talk. And they had their son Jackson. That's my son's name. Her son's name is actually Jackson. <laughs> but it's not like a quick indict in what is that word? Indictment? Indictment? Indictment. Haha. <laughs> That's it. Have a great day. Bye.